20, I'm in case emergency. Ain't no cap in my rock. Really, I know it's the truck. More profit mean extra. Emma White out full of pressure. That cereal milk smoking right. But that Obama right, so special. Kansas City, I'm a chief. Shout out to K5 on this one. Country thinking I was hushing. I always had it on me. Booming like OJ the Juice. Till a nigga told on me. Run down this relentless. Ain't no love, we ain't friendly. If she want me on him. No the law, she get the business. No the law, still the model. Empire. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome in. This is the Birds of a Feather podcast with your boy Q City. Today, we look back at the Falcons game from last week, look ahead to next week versus the Saints, do some in-division and look around the league, go look at the betting points on Gimme Props, and then do a little city talk at the end. So come on with me and let's enjoy the ride. So this week, we unfortunately had a loss. And if you looked at it, it was a, a quintessential Falcons loss. First things first, we were surprised by Ridley having to step away from the game. And, you know, we'll get into that at the end on City Talk. But I definitely feel like that had a lot to do with the offensive inefficiencies of this game. First things first, the game gets started off. We defer the kickoff. Second play of the game, Chiba Herbert Hubbard fumbles. And we're sitting there like, oh, yeah, we're in a good position. We got the ball in the red zone. I'm looking at it like, ah, there's no reason we shouldn't score a touchdown. Uh, they took a shot to Pitts, and Matt Ryan took a sack. That kind of knocked us out, so we end up just tacking three on the board. Uh, Coos automatic. All right, cool. Up 3-0. The next point was really quintessentially what the day was about. A 16-play, 64-yard drive, seven minutes off the clock. The Panthers controlled every bit of the line of scrimmage. They really just challenged our toughness for the day. Ran the ball straight at straight at Grady, straight at Aluakon, straight at Deion Jones. Ran the ball. There, there's nothing you could do about that. It's really just like a test of manhood and will. We managed to shore up in the red zone and. They got the ball all the way down to about the 10-yard line before we ended up stopping them. They put three on the board. Then we trade three and outs. This is when we get to the point of like, okay, we're settled into the game. It's getting to the second quarter. We put together a pretty good drive. 11 plays, 53 yards, but a lot of that was uh, pass interference on the pass to Pitts. So... Uh, Mike Davis is getting the ball, getting the ball, we're feeding him a bit. And then you get a TD to Patterson, you know, late in the drive. Bam, you're up. You're up 10-3. You're looking to take control of the game. They come right back. 10 plays, 52 yards, five minutes off the clock. Their ball control was so on point for the day that there was almost nothing we could do to stop it. Like on our D line, we were literally getting forced around in every way they wanted to do it. Pause. (laughs) So the next point, we get an interception the next time we get the ball back. Shaq Thompson, he just, he made a good play. 
I'm not sure if Matt didn't see him, but it was kind of a leaping linebacker play, very similar to a play that was made in the Tampa game later that day, where a linebacker just drops in zone, gets a break on the ball, two hands outstretched. Some defenders get paid to. Defenders get paid to. It was a good play. I, I can't take that away from him. They didn't do anything with it, though. And we were able to trade three and outs. Then they get the ball. And they're able to matriculate down the field, in the words of John Madden. And those points before halftime were very crucial. Those points before halftime were very crucial. Because Sam Darnold didn't have a great game. But being able to use his legs in that moment and a timely pass to DJ Moore... He was able to get the ball down the field, get him in field goal range. So it's 10-9. At this point, I'm not overly sure about how I feel about the game, how I feel about us moving uh, throughout the day. Because when I look at it, I'm thinking, okay, we've had six drives at this point. One of them, we were in the red zone and stopped. One of them was a very long drive. And then we had three three and outs. Well, two three and outs and an interception. So very mixed bag of results about what's going on. I kind of count that that drive where we started in the red zone off the fumble as almost a three and out because had it been anywhere on the field, we wouldn't have been able to get points off of that. I feel like not getting a touchdown there was almost it's not terrible, but it's almost as bad as getting a three and out just because of where you started. Taking a sack there was crucial. So. You didn't feel great going in 10-9 to halftime. Come out of halftime, immediately go three and out. And and that right there is just like incredibly frustrating because the whole point of deferring the ball, the whole point of deferring the ball is to get it back at halftime and double dip on points. You weren't able to capitalize on the front end because you had a three and out then your defense blew coverage and let them get points before halftime. Then you come out of halftime and immediately go three and out. So you completely botched the whole point of deferring the kickoff. And then you allow. To me, I, I said I said it to my wife. I said it to my wife when it happened. This was the bend over drive. This would just 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 really just. Anything you want, you got off this drive. 17 plays, 73 yards. It ended with a field goal, but there's no way you felt good about that drive. I knew at that point in the day that we had no no chance in stopping the run at any point in time they wanted to do it. So it's 12-10. We get the ball back, put together a really good drive. Now, see, right here is where people are going to blame Matt because it looked like Matt threw the ball into triple coverage to Pitts. But if you looked at the play, it was cover three. The safety was the safety was already on the other side of the field. He made a break on the ball once Matt telegraphed, but Matt put it in a bucket. It was in Pitts hands. They collided. He dropped it. They were in a soft shell all day. And 
Matt was taking the underneath routes when he was able to do so. But that was like one of those shot plays that you were supposed to get. And the fact Pitts dropped that ball, that, that was a huge drop. It was huge. And then Kool being automatic, automatic, misses a field goal. And it was so deflating. Like, I remember when he missed the field goal because at first you're shocked because he never misses inside of 40 yards. And instead of 13-12, you're 12-10, giving them the ball, knowing you can't stop him. And they immediately go 17 plays, about seven minutes off the clock. It was 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter when Pitts dropped that ball. Atlanta got the ball back with six minutes left, down nine. You trade three and outs, barely take any time off the ball, any time off the clock, and then you throw behind Pitts. He forced that ball. He threw behind Pitts, forced the ball into coverage. Gilmore intercepts it, wins the game. There wasn't a lot of firepower offensively in this game. So you kind of look into the trenches. And in the trenches, we were manhandled. We were manhandled on both sides of the ball. Matt was hurried and pressured all day. Two sacks, but tons of hurries. The real thing on this game was we couldn't stop the run. We couldn't stop the run to save our life. There was there was nothing we could have done. They had 230 yards rushing the ball. And like I said, Darnold didn't even play well. Darnold threw for like 200 yards and some change, but he ran for 66 and he had timely runs. He was constantly picking up first downs with his leg. Like they, they were 58% on third down. Damn near 60% on third down. What are you doing there? That they almost never had to punt the ball. They had four drives. Or, yeah, they had four drives in and three and outs. Otherwise, they were going long drive after long drive after long drives. And if you remember this, this is something that was present in the Miami game. Is that our defense can't get off the field. Now, if you play that bend on brink style, they technically did what they were supposed to do. They kept Miami to field goals. Most they kept Miami to field goals and then allowed touchdowns late. But the offense was able to keep up. With Carolina, they kept them to pretty much field goals all day. Carolina scored one touchdown today. Or one touchdown on Sunday. But the inability of the offense to match that production, how the hell do we only score 13 points? And those last three points were throwaway points. That late field goal, that was it was tactically the right move to make. Go ahead and kick the field goal. Try to get the onside kick. See if you can get a touchdown. But missing the kick earlier damned us. It was four minutes left when when you have that when you have that kick. So even if Carolina goes and has a long drive like they did and scores a touchdown like they did, 
you're still down seven at that point. You're not in a desperation point to where you force a ball to someone like Kyle Pitts and get intercepted by Gilmore. Missing the field goal earlier was was the huge turning point of the game. Even so, we lost a turnover battle two to one. One pick, Shaq Thompson made a great interception. The other one, Matt threw a terrible ball. It was it was behind. It was off rhythm. You were like jumping, falling away from it. It, it was bad. It, it was it was a bad decision and it was bad execution. And that's just you don't expect that from what, 12, 13 year vet. You don't expect those type of moves. Ryan had a terrible day. 176 yards, one touchdown, two picks, almost no rushing yards as a team. We had 82 yards rushing, 82 yards to their 230. Pitts has six targets, two receptions. Patterson. Patterson had an all-around decent day. He had 72 yards, 14 touches, and a touchdown. But you expect more from someone like him who consistently touches the ball. But honestly, I think it boils down to the game plan included Ridley being able to stretch the field and take take Gilmore out in coverage. Being able to move Gilmore onto Pitts allowed them to vary up their coverage so much. And you could see Matt lock on to Pitts. In fact, Pitts had six targets today. The next closest guy was Cordell, Cordell Patterson with six. Um, the next closest guy to him was Zacchaeus with four. What, what, are, what are we doing here? And Zacchaeus on those four had four receptions. So I feel like Matt got locked on trying to make just trying to make a play when a play wasn't there with Pitts. They were bracketing him and they put their best cover man on him. Now, with J.C. Horn being out, you expected the secondary to be a little thin, but you also expected to have Ridley there. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that. Hayden Hurst was a complete waste of a draft pick and you need to go ahead and get rid of him as soon as possible. The trade deadline just passed today, so you're not going to pick up his fifth option. And for me, this is just a another terrible Dimitrov move because I can't put it on this new regime, but in essence, you used your first and second round pick on tight ends. Because you traded a two last year to get Hayden Hurst here. So you used your first and your second round pick on tight ends. Only to let the second round tight end play what he came here last year at the trade deadline. Which is eight games and he's going to play 17 this year. You basically got a 25 games out of a second round pick. Who is a backup at this point. Your first, second, and third round picks are the meat of your team. That's the cheap labor. And the first round picks are definitely people you want to pick up your fifth year option on. We got him from Baltimore for it too, but he was a first round pick. Meaning if he was of decent caliber, we could have picked up his fifth year option at at a pretty decent, reasonable price. But now that you have pits, it is completely unacceptable to keep him on the roster past this, like past this year. There was nothing that this offense did today that left me feeling like 
we were going to do anything good for the rest of the year. And that's being hyperbolic. I really think wide receiver is a huge need. I waited to record today just in case any trades were made at the deadline. Just hoping against hope that the Falcons would make a move in the wide receiver room. But they didn't. And hopefully they like who they have. Moving forward, we're going to have to adjust without Ridley. I don't have any faith on anyone else left in that wide receiver room. And I feel like putting it all on pits is extremely unrealistic, honestly. You know, Julio was a monster when he came in, but he had Roddy White, you know, on on the other side of him. And still had a very strong running game. Mike White is terrible <laughs> as a running back. And Cordell Patterson is very all-purpose, but, like, as a feature back, he, he doesn't fit. This This offense has some problems. They have some serious problems. And we've got to be able to... We've got to be able to shore things up before we face the Saints next week, or this is definitely going to be a repeat. The offense was bad, but this defense, this defense got its soul taken today. And as a defensive player, like I played defense, there is nothing more demoralizing than someone lining up, you knowing they can run, they're going to run. They run the way that you want them to run because you can see from the linebackers, from linebackers, corner safeties, they flowed all together. They knew exactly where they were going, met them in the hole, and they get five yards a pop. Four yards, four yards, five yards, four yards. You can't keep them in third. You can't get them to third down. And when you get them to third down, they convert. They took their soul today, man. That Jordan Davis pick that we talked about last week, that big clog in the middle to help shut down the run game, we need a legit defender next to Grady Jarrett on the line. Because at this point in time, there's nothing that's going to stop teams from running the ball. in marginally athletic quarterbacks, marginally, Athletic quarterbacks are getting the best of us. Heineke and Sam Darnold, both of them, were able to run wild on bootlegs. Huge, like, we're in zone, which means you're looking at the quarterback. And he's still able to get down the field on you. I understand it, man. I understand it, man. Play action, man, you're all running away from him. No one's eyes is on him. There's no spy. He gets the ball. We are in zone. We are in a zone, which means you are looking at this quarterback run five yards away from you. They got whatever they wanted. And they came into they came into the dome and walked away with a W. You shake their hand because you're the better man today. That's a good game. But this team's got some serious work to do. All right, y'all, let's flesh that one. Bad tape. Ain't got to watch it. Move ahead to next week. We're going down to New Orleans. And we're going to face the most hated fan base that we have personally, the New Orleans Saints. Now, they are coming off a huge win from last week. And that defense is 
real. Dennis Allen has successfully had that defense on point. They had a little lull in the mid-2010s where they went like 7-9-7-9-7-9 and had statistically the worst defenses in NFL history. And then they flipped a switch. And one of the main reasons they did was they drafted amazing. Our guy came from the Saints, so he was part of those amazing drafts. They've got impact players all over that defense. And the two I want to highlight is one, Marshawn Lattimore, and two, is Cam Jordan. So if you look at Marshawn Lattimore, he excels in press coverage. There's nobody that he really has to worry about, especially if Ridley's, you know, continuing to be out other than Kyle Pitts. And he dogfights you at the line, very similar to Gilmore. And I see Pitts falling into pretty much the same day that he had this week. Marshawn is incredible with his foot speed, super tough, gets in there and makes tackles. He He's a gamer. He's a baller. And he's able to shut down most receivers. Second, Cam Jordan. He's a Falcon killer. He has feasted upon Matt Ryan and they line him up over Jake Matthews every single time. But they move him to both they move him to both sides of the line, but he feasts on Matthews and he sets Ryan almost more than anyone else. Their other first round pick on the line, the one they picked in uh 18, he's pretty good too from the small school. He's pretty good too and they're able to consistently bring pressure without blitzing. And that is the problem for Atlanta. When you can drop seven in the coverage and you're getting home with four consistently and we don't have anyone that can separate, I see Atlanta in for a super, super long day unless we can really pick up the run game. The run game doesn't necessarily have to be turn around and hand the ball off to Cordell Patterson or Mike White. I think a good Mike Davis, I mean, I think a good part of extending the running game is we are going to have to hit those wide, like line guys up to the boundaries, wide receiver screens, quick game, get the ball in, RPOs with uh, slant routes, because just lining up and running into the line, I I don't think that's going to happen. Taysom Hill might be available to play this game. And if you remember me saying marginally athletic QBs have been giving us problems, Taysom Hill is a very athletic quarterback. And he's not like athletic for a quarterback or like athletic for a quote unquote white boy. No, he is athletic. Like dude is super fast, hella strong, country strong. And so he him getting out there, he beat he beat the Falcons last year when he came and played us in the dome when he was on that win streak that he had. So just saying like off the cup, oh, Taysom Hill's playing, we should be good because he's not like a quote unquote conventional quarterback. He's the exact type of quarterback that has given it this defense fits all this year. If you look at the the three I would consider like bad losses that we had were a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts, a mobile quarterback in Sam Darnold and a mobile quarterback in Tyler uh, Taylor Heineke. All three of those guys can move, can run, and had great rushing days on Atlanta. 
But we don't really have an idea of who exactly they will start. But Taysom Hill is available. And we know Sean Payton's got some packages up. Their last game against the Bucks, they were able to get two sacks, six tackles for loss, constant hurries and pressures on Tom Brady, especially against that line. They lined Cam Jordan up over the uh, second-year player, Tristan Wirfs, and many considered him the best right tackle in football last year. Uh, Cam Jordan ate his lunch, like just took it from him. He, he, he had none of it. On their back end, they play a huge amount of man with, you know, that cover two shell. And I expect them to be in pretty basic defenses because we don't have anyone to really challenge their secondary at all. And no one outside of Hayden Hurst maybe can work that middle of the field, but he doesn't really go in there and control the middle of the field like uh, Kelsey or Gronk. He tries to run up the seams. But he fades on his routes and forces Matt to throw damn near perfect balls. I think that a team that scored 29 points, because the game was 37-28 or 37-26, something like that. They scored 29 points offensively. 22 of which came with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. So it's not like they're lacking for offensive talent. And then they had a pick six. They can run the ball. And they have one of the most dangerous pass catchers in Alvin Kamara. He has eaten the Falcons alive every single time he's played us. And it's mainly because of his dual threat ability. Just like Christian McCaffrey does. Which is, you know, you thought him not playing was a good thing last week. Alvin Kamara is able to be a matchup nightmare. Now, Deion Jones was specifically drafted to handle those two type of players. So having him in the lineup with Kamara, able to shadow him wherever he lines up on the field, extremely helpful. And that is a good thing because you always draft for your division first. So he'll he should be able to... Not neutralize him, but at least keep an eye on him throughout the game. And hopefully that doesn't lead to exploitation across the middle of the field. I'm not looking too good at this game. To be honest with you, I think it could be like a 27-10 type of outing. I don't see our offense putting up a whole bunch of points. And I don't consider them extremely high with firepower right now. And I think the Saints are on a roll. This is looking like a Falcons loss, but hey, I'm always going to go in with high hopes. So 2710 is my prediction for this week. All right, so let's look in division and at the playoff races. First things first, the Bucks leading high on the division at 6-2, and two, even with that loss to the Saints. The Saints are at 5-2, and two, half a game behind them. The Panthers, who just beat us, they're two games behind at four and four, and we are two and a half, but basically three games behind at three and four. If the playoffs started today, we would be right on the outside looking in with San Fran and Chicago and the Minnesotas of the world, but only a game out. That seventh spot is what's really open because the Packers just beat the Cardinals 
last Thursday. So they got the one seed. Cardinals got the two seed. The second team in the NFC West, because it's going to come down to the Cardinals and Rams. The second team in the NFC West is going to have the five seed. Like there's no other way around it because the Packers, Cardinals and Rams all only have one loss. The Bucks, even they got two losses. They're at uh, they're in the third seed and then Dallas is in the fourth seed. The Bucks got the head-to-head win. So, no, 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 no. Dallas is three. Bucks are four because Dallas only has one loss. So, Rams at five. Saints right now are sitting in that six spot with five wins, only two losses. I don't see them overtaking the Bucks this year, even with um, this head-to-head win, just because, you know, Jameis tore his knee up. They're going to be playing with a backup for the foreseeable future. Tom Brady is doing alien stuff as usual, and I see them getting right back on track. I mean, Gronk wasn't playing. A.B. wasn't playing. Uh, they get their offensive firepower back. They're going to be able to keep it going. So I, I see the Bucks running away with this division. So we are looking to get a wild card spot. Like I said, that five seed is is locked up. It's going to the second team in the NFC West. The six and seven seed are both occupied by NFC South teams right now. The Saints and the Panthers. Minnesota ain't doing it. They're they're not going to be able to come up. And Chicago is in a tailspin. Seattle is going to be able to come back up because Russell's coming back. And they're three and five right now. The NFC East is completely done. The fact that we lost to two of those teams that are absolutely god-awful. Like, the Eagles got three wins right now. But, like, they just beat on a Lions team that was... They're the Lions. They're 0-8. They're, they're done. <laughs> they're, they're done with it. There's nothing left for them. But the Giants and the Washington football team are done. Dallas has got that division lined up. And then see North, the Packers have got it lined up. The Bears and Vikings are done. The Lions are hapless. In the South, you've got those two teams right there, but you see Seattle is going to be able to come up. So either in the South or the West, three teams are going to make the playoffs. Where do the Falcons fit in there? For me, personally, we've got to catch the Panthers. I thought it was catching the Saints, but at this point in time, we got to catch the Panthers, get them out of that seventh spot. The, our upcoming schedule doesn't really look to allow us to do that, but we've got to catch this tailspin before the game's over, before the season's over. Just some quick highlights around the league. Uh, the Rams traded for Von Miller, traded a couple picks uh, in the second day. They have a very interesting philosophy. On like not caring about draft picks, which is very weird. It's it's not something that's normally done in football. It's it's done in basketball all the time. When you have like a LeBron James, Kevin Durant, you know, what I'm saying you don't care about draft picks. But like in football, where the injury rate is a hundred percent, if you play, you're gonna get injured. They seem to not value young talent as much, or should I say, blue chip young talent as much. They don't care about getting late round guys, but they trade around. They trade away first round picks all the time, and it's it's a very interesting philosophy. Uh, a point I saw: 
Green Bay released Jalen Smith. If you remember, he's the linebacker from the Cowboys. The Cowboys cut him after they paid him just an exorbitant amount of money when they were going through the whole thing with Zeke. He signs on with the Packers for like, not the veteran minimum, but very close to it. He doesn't make it a month. This guy's done. And I remember when Dallas let him go, there was a little groundswell. Oh, hey, Atlanta should pick him up. Sometimes you can check a guy's physical and his tape and know, hey, that ain't it. Uh, J.J. Watt is done for the year. And like I said, Russell Wilson's going to be coming back soon. So there might be a shake, shake up and change in the NFC West. Also, Kyler Murray uh, was in a walking boot. So he's got a twisted ankle. So the Cardinals might be coming down to earth a little bit. That's the top of the division, the top of the NFC. So I don't necessarily see that overly affecting the Falcons, seeing as we don't play with, play them. But it may affect seeding. And if we're handling our business and getting to the playoffs, it might mean a first-round matchup with one of those teams. And now on to my favorite portion, the betting portion. Give me props. Ooh. So not only was it a tough, tough week for your boy on the field, watching his team just get manhandled, it was a terrible betting week. <laughs> hey, so just a little inside the numbers thing. Georgia, Florida was a huge number. It was 14. I, I don't like the Bulldogs or the uh, Gators. I just looked at the number and was like, 14 points is a lot of points. Like, they, they can't be that far apart. Georgia bent them over a barrel. That, that game wasn't close. Like, they, <laughs> they scored they scored three touchdowns back to back to back before halftime. It was, I think it was 3-0. It was 3-0 with, like, three minutes left before halftime. It was 24-0 at halftime. It was, it was, it was crazy. But that's a side note. <laughs> it was I took I took Florida with the points and it just it was all downhill from there. It was all downhill from there. I took I took Florida with the points. I took the Vikings. It was just it was all bad. So in my actual Falcons picks and the gimme props, I went 0-4. Darnold over 0.5 picks. I expected him to throw one. He didn't. Uh DJ to score a touchdown. He didn't. Kyle Pitts. Over five receptions, six targets, two receptions, 13 yards. And then, of course, I had Calvin Ridley over 73 and a half, and he didn't play. So, yeah, you win some, you lose some. As of now, I'm three and five overall on my uh, Falcons picks for the season. We're going to get back at it on Thursday, see if we can get to 500. Win a little money this weekend. Love your vices, even when they don't love you. I'm betting on the Sharp app. You can follow me at QCity11 on Twitter and Instagram. That's the way to get at me. Also, if you want to reach out and interact with the show, follow me on Instagram or Twitter, QCity11. So I always ask people, you know, like message me, get at me, send me, send me fan interaction just so I can talk about these things. I don't feel like I'm the requisite knowledge on everything in the sports world, but I love having interesting topics and giving my perspective on them and having kind of that interaction with the fans. 
didn't need anyone to ask me about it because it's everything that any Atlanta fan is talking about. Ridley stepping away from the game for mental issues. So this came as a shock to everyone right before kickoff, right before game time. Ridley's not playing. Okay, why the hell not? What's going on? He releases a Twitter statement throughout the game that these last couple weeks have been incredibly challenging for him. He's got to step away from the game to focus on his mental health. Now, mental health has been a huge, huge thing going on. Hell, last year, with everyone stuck in the house, uh, going through loss and tragedy, family issues, struggles, the marriage rate was super high. The divorce rate was super high. There's been a bunch of kids born. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like everyone's been handling this differently. And so like mental health has become a huge buzz topic. I think it is incredibly, incredibly important. And this might strike as an unpopular opinion among the Atlanta fan base. I don't doubt Ridley for a second that he's actually going through something. And I think it is an incredibly smart move to step away from the game to get it handled. Now, I was born in 93. I may be considered what some of the old people call, you know, that snowflake generation, the millennial generation. How I look at it personally, though, football is what you do. It's not who you are. I love football. I play football. I want to be a part of it. I talk about it. I love football. I love sports. You know what I'm saying? It brings out the best in you. The I never got far with playing playing football. I, I never progressed any further than just the fun level of the game. But anyone who I know who's played in college, the first thing they say is that I started to lose the love for it because it became a job. It, it became work. It's not something that you do to wear a jersey, to feel cool, to hang with your friends. It's, it's a job. It is work. And then to add the pressure onto that once you make it to the league, I don't like getting up and going to work every day. You know, you know, and going through the pandemic, it was very hard to consistently be allowed to go to work because, you know, I was able to leave the house. I was considered a, you know, uh, what was that? Frontline, not frontline, integral worker, whatever word they use to say that we're going to exploit you and send you out into the Rona. (laughs) Um, I was I was one of the people I could still leave the house and go to work, but you couldn't do anything else. And it was very hard day after day after day to go to work come home and do nothing. And I love my family. I don't know Ridley's personal situation, what he's got going on in life. I I do know that last year was super challenging on everyone and he was able to stay the course. There's no telling what's going on in his life, but at some point you break. We saw it with Simone Biles. We I, even though I feel like some of it is bullshit, we're seeing it with Ben Simmons. Once athletes get into their head, it is hard to get out. And the, you got to remember, these are high functioning people. These are members of society who've never had a problem succeeding at things that they are doing. 
because they feel like they're good at these things. I put the work in. I'm able to succeed. It doesn't work like that with mental issues. It doesn't work like that with your brain. You can't outthink your brain. You can't hack it into doing what you wanted to do and still function. If you got to take a second to step away and get right, I think this is what Ridley has to do. And I, for one, support him. Now, what will that effect be on the field? I think it'll be extremely hard. Coming into this season, I didn't think the receiving core was as bad as it was. But after playing for seven games at this point, when Ridley isn't on the field, this team, this offense is anemic. Absolutely putrid. Like, my eyeballs throw up when I watch them. Kyle Pitts is amazing. You can neutralize him, though. You bracket him. No one else on this offense is going to beat you at all under any circumstances. And that's including Matt Ryan because he can't deliver the deep ball to stretch the defense. I think it is incredibly challenging to support a player while simultaneously feeling the effects of his absence on the field. I hope that the fan base gives him the proper respect that he deserves. And he doesn't owe us an explanation, but I would love for him to provide one when he comes back. The reason I feel like this is a real situation, he missed the London trip. When he came back and played last week versus Miami, he was not himself. I took the over on the 76 and a half yards because he was going up against a backup corner. Ridley was not okay. And him stepping away from the game might be the best thing for him. So hopefully we can have him back as soon as possible with his issues resolved. But for now, hope everything's all well with him. Okay, I got I got a message from a Jorge talking about Hey, like your pod. Keep grinding, man. I like to give me props. Tell me how you got into gambling. Well, this week is probably a terrible week to tell you how I got into gambling, seeing as how bad I did. But I didn't actually get into gambling for any other reason other than I started watching the games, loving the games, and wanted to test my knowledge of the games against friends. Hey, I think this team's better than that team. No, they're not. Cool. Bet $5 on it. That's really where it started. <laughs> there was, There's nothing um, more to it other than that. I love getting into like the prop bets and whatnot because it just forces you to look a little deeper into the games i feel like once you have a money investment into into pretty much anything you know what i'm saying you, you tend to take it a bit more seriously you know what i'm saying uh one of the things that always stuck out to me was the fact that you could put any amount of effort you want to into a gambling effort into learning a game, learning the ins and outs. You know, like, hell, look at the NFL. The NFL puts out the injury report. The injury report is for gambling. <laughs> like, it's it's never been for the other team. There, there's no benefit into telling the other team 
which player is injured and not going to play. It's for gambling benefits. It's for it's for affecting the line. And so the NFL has always supported gambling. You know what I'm saying? As fans, once you you gamble, it's a way of like superiority over your peers and colleagues or it just gets you more in tune and more in depth into the game. That's all fantasy football is really. It's just a long way of gambling when you look at it. But for me, it's it's just something fun to do. It's something that gets me invested in the games, takes my takes my mind and attention to them pretty much more detail. But for me, it's a hobby. I don't consider it, you know, like a a business or something that I'm going to do long term type thing. I I believe in that adage. If you treat it like a business, it'll pay you like one. If you treat it like a hobby, it'll pay you like one. Um, there, there's people who are who are sharps. You know what I'm saying? Like I bet on the sharp app, and the name from it is people who are sharps who literally do nothing but bet. Like they are straight degenerates. They find any and everything they they can do. They put four or five figure bets down routinely. Excuse me, down routinely on any bit of action. And those are people who do massive amounts of research. Me personally, I feel like if you're going to make what is quote unquote considered an educated bet from, you know, just like layman's terms from a normal person, it's about 10, 15 minutes of research. You look at it. The main things you look at, you look at injury report, try to go look at pro football focus to see where the offensive and defensive lines are ranked, see which wide receivers and cornerback matches up are uh, ends and tackle matchups, bet on the quarterbacks, and just just kind of go from there. Uh, just a quick breakdown. I would say Kansas City, Kansas City, the Giants, right? Kansas City, New York. So the line is 10. I would take New York. The reason I would take New York is one, 10 points is a huge number for the NFL. Most NFL games are decided between four and six points, four and six and a half, really. But four and six points, most NFL games are decided. So that's saying Kansas City is 10 whole points better than the Giants. I would say that, but Kansas City has had many, many, many chances to correct their turnover issues and just haven't this year. They consistently lose the turnover battle. So you look, where is Kansas City ranked on turnovers? Oh, second worst in the league behind, I think, the Lions. So, like, their record shouldn't even be that good because a turnover battle, a turnover uh, is a great indication on who wins or loses the game. So if they're turning the ball over and they're still winning, that means they're going to win close. They should win under 10 points. Uh, Their sack rate, sack pressure, all that you can get from pro football focus. They barely rush the passer. And New York's line isn't great, but they're not going to be able to generate a huge amount of pressure. Look at the wide receivers. I like I like the kid from Florida. What is that? Uh, He's got a a weird name. I know his last name's Tony. I like him. You know what I'm saying? On the Giants side. I don't see them generating a huge amount of points, so this might be a kicking game. But like I said, KC turns the ball over a lot. So I expect it to keep it close, definitely within 10 points. And Kate, and also, 
another thing you could look at is you know like pass pass spreads so like when you see when you hear a team like Kansas City people think oh that's just like a great team you know what i'm saying so the point totals will get inflated whereas Casey and the Giants on a neutral field normally if you're just looking at the teams player for player you might be like oh that's a 5 point game but when you attach like if you look at player for player just stats you might be like oh that's a 5 point game but when you start attaching names to it Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey then it's like it bumps it up from 5 points to six and a half, seven points. Then people start betting on it, bumps it up more. That's where you get a 10 point spread. 10 points is entirely too much. Take the Giants, make some money. I'm making this before the game, so I'm not really sure uh, what it's going to be, but that that would be my reasoning behind that. And like, you just enjoy it. You know, that that's just like quick and, and as you do it, you get more knowledge behind it. And certain things just start to make sense. It starts to make sense with betting. You see a line and you're like, oh, that number's really inflated. And then sometimes you guess completely wrong. Like Georgia, Florida. I thought 14 points was entirely too high. I look at Georgia's recruit and I look at Florida's recruit. And I'm like, I mean, Georgia gets better players, but I don't think they're a whole two touchdowns better than Florida. They were like six touchdowns better than Florida. So, so you know. You can do all the research in the world, but it's still a game played by humans and human things happen as as look at Calvin Ridley, you know, human things happen. So. Like I said, I, lo- I love betting. It's it's very mathematical. It challenges you. It makes you look and research and delve deep into things. And I'm a nerd at times. So I like that. I, I like that question, too. Thank you. All right, y'all. The last city talk point I have is a conspiracy theory, really, honestly and truly. And I got it from talking inside of a Falcons group on Facebook. And it was it was super interesting. So we all know that we gave the Packers their at this point second best quarterback of and one of the greats of all time in Brett Favre. We drafted him. In the second round, trade him for a first. That pick became a running back that that went to Brett Favre School in Southern Miss. And Jerry Glanville, the crazy part is, Jerry Glanville wanted a DB at 17. He ended up trading back to 19 to get the running back. I forget his name. It's escaping me right now. But he wanted the DB. He ended up getting a running back. So he hated that running back. (laughs) He ended up being out the league in like three years. And the Packers got a Hall of Fame, one of the best of all time quarterbacks. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be a bit of poetic justice if it happened in the reverse for us? Hear me out. There is very, very little circumstance in which you let Aaron Rodgers walk this year walk at the end of this year he won the mvp last year and he is playing at an elite level this year has the team seven and one loving life loving ball and people would be like oh no nah, he tried to retire this offseason he's saying he wants out of there let, let let me tell you and everybody who's like oh 
these these multi-million dollar athletes already have tons of money so money's not a motivator that's fine and i believe that you believe that but you should make someone say no to a hundred million dollars because like most people be like oh you already got a hundred million what's five ten fifteen million more yeah that's fine but you've never been in position for that type of money i believe you make someone say no to a hundred million dollars you put that money on the table and you make them say no to it. I believe the Packers will resign Aaron Rodgers this offseason. I'm planting my stake in the ground here. I feel like it's going to happen. There's no reason to let that player who literally no decline. You drafted Jordan Love because his first year in the system, he had somewhat of a decline. They went 13 and three, lost in the NFC championship game. To, to an awesome defense in San Francisco. He comes back the next year. Blast through the league. 42 or 40. No, 45 touchdowns. And like record low interceptions like Aaron Rodgers. Single digits. And he threw three in the Tampa game. So what, four for the rest of the year? And then 13 and three. Loses in the NFC Championship game. That's 26 wins in two years. And then this year, he's 7-1. and one. Just knocked off the undefeated team on a Thursday night. There's no reason you let go of Aaron Rodgers under any circumstances. So you resign him. Now, you've heard me talk plenty of times about the fact that having a rookie quarterback only benefits you because he's cheap. If you re-sign Aaron Rodgers, you take away the cheapness of Love's contract. It's, it's null and void. You'll never be able to capitalize it. So you need to trade him. But once you re-sign Aaron Rodgers, you lose your leverage because every other team in the league recognizes that. My thought is that you give a third and a combination of a day three pick, which is either... Three and four, three, five, three, six, three, seven. And you get Jordan Love. You immediately pick up his fifth year option, just like Carolina did with Sam Darnold after trading for him after his third year. This will be trading for Love after his second year. So you let him sit next year. You pick up his fifth year option. So you have three years in which you can spread out the money for his contract. Let him sit behind Matt for two years. You don't re-sign Matt. You have a quarterback who has sat for four years. Hmm. You know who else sat for four years? Aaron Rodgers. You know another name that sat for three years, three plus years? Steve McNair. Another guy who sat for a while. Steve Young. Taking a guy with a cannon for an arm, reining him, putting him in a system, forcing him to learn... And who did Arthur Smith work very, very well with? A strong arm mobile quarterback? Oh, Tannehill. Tannehill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jordan Love is a mobile, strong arm quarterback. That's all I'm saying. I feel like building through the draft. And because we have Matt, I don't think we're going to be super bad. Like, I feel like we're, we'll be around eight or nine wins. 
And that does give you a person of Jordan Love's caliber, but there's no one like that coming out in the draft this year. You don't want to bottom out next year because you're paying Matt all this money. So I think they're going to go in and go for it. And even then, you'll cap out around nine or ten wins. That doesn't put you in a position to get a high draft pick a quarterback the next year. This, to me, seems like a completely reasonable trade to make. It's a big conspiracy theory, but I feel like when laid out and thought, thought about properly, it was pretty cool. So that's it for today, you guys. Go ahead, follow me at QCity11 on Instagram, Twitter. I will be putting out my betting picks on Thursday. I put out my my Falcons picks every day, uh, every time before the game. I am also, this will be the first podcast that will be uploaded at the same time on Apple Music. So I'm on Apple Music as well. Well, Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Please rate and review me. It helps a lot uh, with the help funding of the show and whatnot. So you guys, please do me a favor, rate and review me. Thank you guys for all you do. Catch on later this week. Looking like I hit the lotto. I wanna hide it like Mulatto. I'm on hand, she on Miscato. I'm in no good till tomorrow. I'm a robber for the narrows. Yo, little logs, I'ma put you on payroll. You smell that aroma? Designer, yeah, it's a party, yeah. Papa Corona? She moving the body, she working them heels. Gotta go get him mentality. Gross it bag full of salary. Only believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 on my case emergency. I wake up early every morning. Thank the Lord and get the bag. Hustle hard, get the cash. That first, then I'll show my ass. Gotta go get him mentality. Gross your bag full of salary. Only believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 on my case emergency. My babies, that's who I grind for. That's who I do it for. Like the Navy. That's who I'm toting that iron for. Keep one in the head like a thought, nigga. Yeah, I fuck with Ty, he a boss, nigga. Foot on that neck, I exhaust, nigga. Niggas cross me, so I cross, nigga. No script was lit last night. 500, what it cost, nigga. Shit was really legit last night. Had them hoes at the house, nigga. Instagram, Snapchat, Triller. What they say about Jay, he a go getter. Used to have them fat sacks in the grove, nigga. Late nights, early morning, my dough, nigga. You smell that aroma? Designing, yeah, it's a party, yeah. Papa Corona, she moving the body, she working them heels. Gotta go get him mentality. Gross it bad, full of salary. Only believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 